Good afternoon, well-being friends. Welcome to the Path to Well-Being in Law podcast, an initiative of the Institute for Well-Being in Law. I'm your co-host, Chris Newbold, Executive uh, Vice President of Alps Malpractice Insurance. And most of our listeners know what why we're here. Our goal is to introduce you to thought leaders doing meaningful work in the well-being space within the legal profession. And in the process, we're working to build and nurture a national network of well-being advocates intent on creating a culture shift within the profession. And uh, let me be the first to introduce my co-host, Bree Buchanan. Bree, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. Thank you. And I am yeah. so excited, you know, <laughs> about this episode. Yeah, this is, um, this is... Because we have just increased our um, staff at IWill. And so I, I'll let you finish, but I'm just... Excited. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, for, there's a couple of notable things about this, right? And yeah. Bree, you and I have been at this for at least, you know, Going going well beyond five years now, but uh, a couple of things that I think are really unique about this particular podcast. First of all, our twenty fifth podcast, right? And so, yeah. I'm totally excited about just the incredible wow. people that we have met on this journey. Uh, it's a you know reflection point, so to speak, and I just think it's been you know a, a great ride uh, for us as we've introduced people from around the country and and welcome in new new listeners to the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's been I, a know, lot of fun. It has. And, and then I think, you know, the, the, the big point, and I think maybe a little bit of historical perspective is, 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 uh, is good to share with the listeners today that uh, obviously the Institute for Wellbeing in law started, you know, now uh, just over 18 months ago. And, and, and really um, the, the intent was as a natural out, outgrowth of the national task force on wellbeing in law, was that we wanted to look toward a greater level of sustainability for the movement. And uh, Bree and I and many other uh, leaders in the movement got together and, and we ultimately decided that the creation of the Institute as a national think tank to be able to work and, and lead efforts on a national basis was, was the move. And, and a lot of that was uh, with the intent of being able to hire a full-time professional staff that could work on this issue, not just for the short term, but for the long term. And so, Absolutely. you know, again, without further ado, we are super excited about today's guests, right? Which is uh, our friend, Jennifer DeSanza, who is the first executive director of the Institute for Wellbeing and Law. And I know that we are really excited to introduce her uh, to our listeners, talk about the vision, talk about where the organization's going, uh, talk about her own personal journey uh, as it relates to uh, to well-being. So, Bree, why don't I kick it uh, to you and uh, for uh, an introduction of somebody who I think will be a pivotal leader, spokesperson. I know she's thoughtful. It's, I'm, we're, you know, again, we're just super excited to have Jennifer yeah. on board. I'm going to let Jennifer talk about her background, but I'm going to talk about as way of introduction, how we got her to us. <laughs> yeah. So like you said, there was um, this, this whole plan of how we were forming I will, and then be able to fundraise and then be able to hire staff. And Jennifer's the first one of that. And so we went out and did a national search, um, really cast the net wide and far. We had over 80 applications for the position. Mm. And so it took us a good number of months to go through all of those, um, many interviews. And in ultimately after, I'd say at least a, it was a six month search project process, 
we found our Jennifer DeSanza. And so Jennifer, I'm, we're finally going to let you talk now. <laughs> I have to say after that introduction, I feel like an athlete, like I should have had play on music or I should have had some theme music. Yeah. Because I, I could... that was quite the introduction. Thank it you was. It was really a buildup. And what I was thinking is like in the old radio shows, if they had like the button you could hit with like the applause, you know, <laughs> too. I heard it all in my head, Bree. So okay. it was good. But yeah. no, I, I, I appreciate both of you so much. And, you know, it was a long process, but one of the things that attracted me to this, and I've told this story. So those people who know me who are listening know this story is that I was really looking for an opportunity to be entrepreneurial. Mm. but I didn't necessarily want to go out on my own for those people who can work for themselves. That's great. And as when this position was posted, I'd been following, I will, because my background is in legal education and nonprofit work. I'd been following the organization and just wonderful things that I knew about it. I had friends on the advisory board involved in different ways. I really believed in the mission. I have never felt so strongly about something as I did when I saw Iwell was hiring an executive director. And what brought it home for me is so many people sent it to me because they mm. knew what I wanted to do. It was, it was a confluence of events, I feel. Yeah. So I am so grateful to the search committee, to the board, um, because I really feel like I'm doing my life's work here at Iwell. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Jennifer, uh, we're going to start you off the way we have started off, started off all of our guests, which is to ask you about what are the experiences in your life that drive your passion for well-being in the legal profession? And clearly you have a passion. So tell us about that. Again, it really comes from my background and experiences. A lot of times, you go through your career and you're doing things that you're well positioned for, that you're well skilled for, but not necessarily something that drives you past just an everyday job. From a personal standpoint, it really came to me when I went to law school. Uh, oh, so many years ago, I'm actually, not to date myself, this is our 20th anniversary from graduating. So it's been 20 years since I was in law school. But from a personal standpoint, even before that, I struggled with depression and anxiety throughout my life. But law school was the point where it was at the most difficult. I faced my most difficult challenges. I chose to go to school part-time while working full-time and getting my master's degree. So there were a lot of different layers on that. But I really didn't have the resources. I actually didn't even have the language at that time. I was very much of the standpoint, like I got to get through it. I got to get through it without really thinking about what toll it was taking on me mentally and on my health, just in general. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize the context, right? I was a first gen student. I never had met anyone that went to law school. I really thought it was going to be like graduate school. I'd go a couple nights a week. I'd do my homework on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after being in law school education for almost 20 years, I realized that's an impossible, um, mm -hmm. impossible thought. You know, I incorrectly assumed that. And it's no secret to those people who know me that I really did not enjoy my law school experience. Yeah, that's I, I, it's so interesting when you go back and you talk to folks who have went through that experience, some love it, some 
<laughs> it was a it, it was a terrible experience, right? And that kind of forms a lot of kind of how you think about uh, about kind of coming to the law and making some decisions about, you know, boy, did I make the right decision here? Um, Jennifer, I think one of the things that's interesting that I know that as on the hiring committee that we thought was really pertinent was your career uh, in in uh, in legal education. Can you tell us a little bit more about your kind of professional journey after graduating from law school that you think has kind of prepared you for kind of the leadership, uh, taking the, the leadership uh, baton here and, and running with it? Sure. I think most people, they like, well, if you hated law school so much or didn't enjoy the experience, why did you stay there for an additional 20 years? <laughs> um, but the, the reality is that I was lucky enough to have someone at my law school who I could go talk to, and it made my experience better. And I realized that I could continue doing that. Right? I, could, I could be that person for other people. And I had been in human resources in manufacturing and you know, well-being at that time in you know, it was the late 90s, early 2000s, we, I really I had safety as part of my human resources responsibility. And it was really about physical safety, right? There was no holistic approach to employee well-being. But I took what I learned as an HR manager to student affairs, law, stu law school student affairs. And we get students, you know, I worked at three different ABA approved schools and you get students, how they come in as you find them basically, right? Some of them have pre-existing issues, whether it's mental health or substance use, whatever it is. But I knew once they got to law school, whatever it was either started in law school or became much more exasperated while they were in law school. So really over the years of working in legal education, I tried to focus on ways to make the experience better, right? My, the majority of my time during those almost 20 years was counseling students or developing programs to support students in finding out better ways to handle their stress or their anxiety, providing accommodations for students. But I also think one of the things that's sort of a catch-22 in the legal education world is that we're preparing people to have resilience and resilience in itself. I was just having this conversation with a law firm well-being person last week. Resilience in itself says there's something you have to be resilient about. There's going to be something difficult in this process. And I'm not saying law is easy or should be easy, but we're creating this expectation that they're already going to find difficulty in it. So while we had to, in the law school environment, create these programs to deal with life after law school. And it, you know, the reason I love IWIL is they want to, we want to fix those issues, right? We want to look at it and say, what are, what's causing the burnout? What's causing the turnover so we can make it better. And even with my last position for the last three years, I was working in financial wellness issues with law students. It's also better to understand the financial pressure students went in, why they went into maybe big law or different world, uh, different jobs. They went to law school and they were willing to sacrifice their health because they wanted to make a lot of money or because they were hoping for public service loan forgiveness. So it really is this confluence of events, like I said, to bring me here now. Yeah. 
And, and Jennifer, I think one of the things that was so attracted, attracted for me with you and many things, but also this law school background, because we, you know, we, we really are there for the groups of law students, judges, and lawyers. And because law students, of course, it's corny, but they are the future of the profession. And we know that the youngest lawyers suffer the greatest level of behavioral health problems. It just seemed like a really great way for us to make sure, to ensure that we're focusing on this critical group. So um, yeah, listen, I've got another question for you just about how you're kind of doing, what's going on now. So I'll, I'll date this episode and that um, we're uh, in August. And so you've been with us for two months now. You've been through a strategic planning session that we had in Chicago with a board uh, a couple of weeks ago. So talk to us now um, about what are your priorities for IWILL over the next couple of years, which to be fair, it's not just your priorities, it's the boards too, but, but talk a little bit about that. The strategic planning session was really eye-opening for me, not because every, there was a lot of new information, but just having this group of well-being advocates in the room committed to improving the profession. It was inspiring, actually. You know, one of the things, probably the most important thing that we focused on during that strategic planning is really um, focusing on where we can have the most impact. And it's not nothing new, but we helped articulate it. And, you know, we're already doing education and awareness. We have wonderful programming through our biennial conference and our well-being week in the law. We are getting started with a research agenda that's very exciting and our policy work. We have wonderful initiatives coming up in our policy work and our technical uh, assistance. We work with state task force, getting them up and running, supporting them, uh, looking at opportunities to comment on policy change. That's really one of my priorities and making sure we are involved in every conversation that impacts well-being in the legal profession. We need to be the thought leaders in this. I, I wanna see those ongoing research projects. I wanna see those comments. I wanna see us out in front of everything and being the thought leader in that. And I also wanna be the gathering space for well-being advocates. Absolutely. I want them to come to us for those questions and how we can support them. Yeah, it was a uh, it, that was a that was a that was a great day for us, right? Because I I think for the listeners' perspective, you know, a, a lot of us, um, you know, obviously IWIL was formed during the pandemic, right? So this, and while we probably have spent hundreds of hours together on Zoom calls, <laughs> the ability to be physically together and meet people that you feel like you know, but you never know people until you're physically with them, right? And, right. And it was it just was a a fantastic experience to 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 bond with people in a in a physical setting um and and uh and, and again jennifer i'll just kind of come back to the notion of um i think it's fair to say that going into that retreat your vision of where you thought the movement was heading was probably a little bit blurry coming out of that session do you feel better about kind of what that outlook looks like relative to where I will and, and and other constituencies will be able to put their time, talent, bandwidth, and resources to advance the movement and to advance the culture shift in a more accelerated way. 
Absolutely. As I have said over and over again, those first couple of months, I really felt like I was drinking through a fire hose, <laughs> right? And, and that's typical of any new job. You're right. getting up to speed and there's so many things, but I really feel good about where we landed because one of the most common things I hear is what are you doing or how, you know, what is this, um, what are you going to support? They want deliverables and they want action items. And I feel like defining those pillars as we did and coming up with action items is something that is important. And it also helps, helps to hold us accountable in what we do. And that is really important. We have we have sustaining donors that we need to be accountable. We have the general public. We have our volunteers. We need to be held accountable. And I feel like we can do that. Jennifer, one of the things that I think is just really interesting about your role is in some respects, our quote unquote business model is premised on the notion of effective volunteer management, right? And and we obviously, I mean, one of the things that I think has been one of the great accomplishments of IWIL thus far in its kind of short history has been the manner in which we've offered an on-ramp to people interested in this issue to become more involved. Right. So whether it's through a committee structure, whether it's through, you know, service on a state task force and then connecting with IWIL through that, whether it's through participation in the in the annual conference or well-being uh, week in law, um, the, we have we have created an opportunity for people to come together. And so I just would be curious on your opinion as to how has it been for you to 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 meet them? And, and, and that volunteer base and, and how important is that group obviously to what we're trying to, to do relative to our mission? Well, we do not exist without our volunteers. I mean, it's as plain as simple. I am one person, right? I am one paid staff member, but my listening tour in these first few months has been the best part of this job because I've become connected to so many of these well-being advocates that are out there, not only are they, they have their primary professional career, that they have committed their time and talent to moving this, this culture shift forward. And so I'm just amazed by all the time and thoughtful comments and the way they have embraced me. I mean, it's just been phenomenal. And, and so I'm so grateful to them. I also, I, I would also like to thank those of you, those volunteers out there who have been very transparent with me, right? And saying they love being a part of I Will, but they need more focus, which is one of the, uh, one of the reasons why we needed a strategic plan. So it really helped inform that. Yeah, I think one of the things that seems so unique, I you look at other think tanks and, you know, they, I think that they went out, a couple of people had an idea that they want to to dig into and they form a think tank and go forward. And we did this, but we also opened up the, the doors to bring everybody we could along. And just so people know, between the state task forces that we um, work with regularly and the committees, we have over 200 volunteers that are uh, working with I Will monthly. So it's, it's a very large, very active. Uh, volunteer base. So yeah. Jennifer, we're going to go ahead and take a take a break at this point in time to hear from one of our sponsors, and then uh, we'll be back and continue our uh, podcast. And we'll talk a little bit about 
DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging with Jennifer and how that fits into the whole uh, well-being puzzle. You expect most things to be easily available online, so why should your malpractice insurance be any different? Your job as an attorney is already hard enough. You deserve an application that's easy. With ALPS, you can apply, view rates, and accept your policy 100% online and all in about 20 minutes. Get back to your practice faster and add valuable time back to your day. Want to talk to a real person? Call, chat, email. ALPS is here for you. Welcome back, everybody. And we have the most special guest today, our new executive director, Jennifer DeSanza. And so, Jennifer, tell us about, you know, the, one of the, the first thing that the IWILL board did was pass a, a resolution, a statement, a policy around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how imperative it is um, to, to be looking at those issues alongside contemporaneously with the work that we're doing on well-being, because um, you can't really do one without the other. Could you talk a little bit about your views on that? I know that you've heard a lot of discussion about this at the board level, and, and what are you thinking about the, the future of where we meld, raise awareness, et cetera, these two things of DEI, belonging, and well-being? I think most importantly, that this has been something that was articulated very early to me in the interview process. And I have seen it play out throughout my time here. You know, it's, it's great that we're including diverse points of view and supporting them, but you hit the nail on the head when you talked about belonging, right? There's enough room at the table for everyone. So we need to make sure that we are not only including people, but we have a place where there's psychological safety. We have a place that people feel comfortable and they feel belonging because we know that's key to right. well-being, right? We know that belonging is important. So that should that is on the, the premise of everything we do. And we know that DEI and B has been come to the forefront lately, but there was definitely a struggle to get there. But we have a unique opportunity as we build this movement and create it to really create it as a foundational premise of every single thing that I will does, that we have an eye to ensuring this inclusivity and this belonging, because without it, we're not serving all our stakeholders, we're not serving the profession, and we're not holding to the policy that we stated we would do. So right. we have to live it. Right, So well said, so well said. And it takes, I have found, um, you know, I accept that I am a privileged white woman, um, cisgendered lawyer, um, and I have to be continuously vigilant about these issues. It doesn't just um, happen without really paying consistent, close attention to it. And so um, I'm just thrilled that you are here to help us in that endeavor. And I have no doubt that you will keep us on that path. Thank you. I am excited about the opportunity, but I also am glad that we have such a wide variety of volunteers who can keep us accountable on this point too. Yeah, and the reality is if you've met one lawyer, you've met one lawyer, mm -hmm. right? And we, mm -hmm. and we all come from 
perspectives that are unique, different, you know, all across the spectrum. So, it, you know, again, this notion of how people struggle for inclusivity and belonging in our profession is something that, you know, just has to be at the forefront of, of everything that we do. And I, I was just, I was proud as part of our strategic planning process that we, that we continue to, you know, again, ensure that, that, that we're looking through the right lens in our discussions. Um, but, and we always are striving to be a little bit better than we were previously, because sometimes even the most well-intentioned folks can sometimes have a little bit of blind spots here and there. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. Jennifer, one of, one of your first achievements was a, was a recently uh, announced uh, uh, partnership and establishment with, with Thomson Reuters. Can, can you kind of uh, tell our listeners about kind of what that entailed and how that came about? Sure. This was actually very exciting for me because I was pleasantly surprised when within the first few weeks of me uh, starting with IWIL, I was able to connect with Thomson Reuters. And more importantly, I was able to reconnect with somebody who I went to law school with. Um, Bree had already established the relationship, but I was able to connect with Nina Camello, who is um, leading the space in their global large law firm area. And she and I went to law school together. She was a year or two behind me, but it was really nice to have this conversation with her about all the wonderful things that Thomson Reuters and I will can do together. This is different than a traditional sponsorship. They have unique areas that they we can leverage, right? Whether it's their research, whether it's their practical law area, even marketing and technology. Um, I believe that this partnership might be an uh, example moving forward of some of the things that I will can do. I, I feel like the sky's the limit. And it's just harnessing all of that and figuring it out. We're, we've been having continuing meetings with them about some of the work that we can do together. So it's very exciting. Absolutely. And so Jennifer, what else interests you and excites you? And I'll say worries you, of course, because as an executive director, you do a lot of worrying about the future of the well-being in law movement. Well, you know, obviously being a startup has its pros and cons, right? As I talked about earlier with um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, we have the opportunity to build something from the ground up and thinking about all the pieces, right? We have the opportunity to be the preeminent think tank on well-being in the legal profession. We also have to expect there's going to be growing pains, right? As I talked about drinking out of a fire hose and trying to figure out where we're gonna focus our energies, we only have that staff of one. We do have dedicated board members, advisory board members and volunteers, but we need to make sure IWIL is sustainable, right? It's an ongoing process to make sure our thought, we're thoughtful as we grow and how we fund initiatives to make sure that we're here from the long-term. So it's very exciting from a startup perspective, but we also have to be thoughtful about where we put our energies and time. Jennifer, I think one of the things that's always interesting about the roles that we have as leaders is, you know, obviously working to leave the profession a little bit better than we found it, right? And as we think about your tenure and our mission, you know, if we were to look forward a decade um, if we were to do a good job around changing attitudes, hearts, and minds, how would the legal profession be different? 
in my, in my dream scenario, I want legal employers to set the standard on employee well-being. I want to see organizations highlighted for their employee-first approach to the work environment. I really would love to see the profession as to be able to put up against some of the other professions that are already doing a lot of work and well-being. I'd love to see those shifts. You know, we're seeing these issues debated right now that were accelerated by the pandemic, remote work, vacation, but the truth is the issues were coming regardless. So I wanna make sure the legal workforce is to able to be agile as these things change and the generations change as they come up into the workforce. And I want the legal profession to be able to weather any future crises like a pandemic because their employees feel psychological safety. I also want law schools to embed well-being from day one, right? I wanted to, I don't want it to be an afterthought or trying to fit it in here where you can. And this is not a function that um, can come easily because there are a lot of rules and regulations, but it needs to be inextricably tied to the curriculum culture. Because as we said earlier, law schools are preparing people for the practice of law but we want that to be a holistic approach, right? They're charged with preparing students for practice, but that includes not only doing the job of being a lawyer, but it also helps in forming that professional identity and understanding the culture of the legal profession. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that base, that foundational culture of legal profession is now well-being at the forefront? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Jennifer, as, as, as we look to wrap up here, I, I, you know, again, I, I think one of the things that's interesting as we think about the future is how do we know whether we've made progress or not? Do, do you have any, you know, just kind of early inclinations as to, you know, in the business world, they talk about critical, you know, key performance indicators. Do you have any kind of early sense of, you know, as we, we talk about this phrase of, of engineering a culture shift in any sense of how you might want to think about how we might want to be thinking about the measurement of progress? I think there are some standard measurements of progress, retention, burnout. Mm -hmm. um, I know there are law firms out there looking at um, their employees. There are some larger scale surveys, but um, you know, we talk about people, different groups, different groups of lawyers leaving the profession or changing or moving areas of practice because of the type of their work they're doing. So if we see some of those things change, I think we'll be making progress, right? Um, if we see the path to partnership change, right, that allows more flexibility. If we see more uh, alternate work environments, if we see some of those things as a standard, remember, because there are firms that might be able to do it and employers that might be have to do it, but then it becomes the standard. I think we will have uh, made a difference. Awesome. Jennifer, uh, you know, again, on behalf of everyone who I know has labored on, on this particular issue and, and, and set us up, I mean, we are, we're, we're so excited that that you're joining us as a leader in this in this journey. There's, you know, our best days continue to be ahead of us. We know that uh, there are some things going on both in society and generationally that might give us a little bit of tailwind for some of that acceleration of, of activity. 
Um, and I think one of the most important things about this podcast is how can people reach you, right? Because you are now, in some respects, the, the face and the and the day-to-day -day kind of operational execution of some of the, the missions. So I would love it if you would let the listeners know, uh, how do they get a hold of you? As I often say, I have a virtual open door. I've been taking meetings um, regularly, but you can reach me at my email address, jdesanza at lawyerwellbeing.net. Feel free to reach out. I have um, plenty of availability on my schedule if you just want to chat with me and talk about your thoughts about the lawyer well-being movement or how you'd like to contribute to the lawyer well-being movement. I look forward to talking to many more people. Okay. Well, again, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. I, I have a, I have a hunch that you uh, will uh, be on the podcast again at some point down the road. In fact, you could even probably be a guest host on the there you go podcast <laughs> in the event that Bree or I have to take a little bit of a, a leave or a vacation. And so, uh, again, I know that uh, for us that that labor on this issue and and it's something that we've made as part of our professional opportunity to give back. It's it's certainly refreshing to be able to. Uh, have someone of your talent join our team. And I know that you've been passionate about this issue from the forefront, but now, now you get to work on it day to day. And that's, that's awesome for us. And it's awesome for where this movement is ultimately going. Absolutely, Jennifer, we're so glad to have you and me on a personal note, I love working with you. So um, yeah, delighted you're on board. Thank you both uh, so much. Yeah. Well, again, thanks everyone for, for listening in. I, I, we, we uh, will be back and probably within the next couple of weeks, two to three weeks, uh, as we look forward into the fall. Uh, it's going to be a busy fall for both I will and, and well-being activities. And uh, we will see you, uh, see you down the road. Thanks for tuning in.